Today we're going to talk about this particular issue of enduring through seasons of weariness, enduring through challenges that are wearying, the whole idea of, of burdens and weariness that, 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 that tries to crush us and push us down. And would suffocate our faith. And I would like to begin this message this morning by confessing to you of my love for the Burger King Whopper. The Whopper with cheese. The king of burgers. Melody, is that you? I I have you in my notes. Watch out for Melody and how she's going to react to this. I literally, I have a note for you right in here. Um, It says, Melody, wait for the end before you get upset. I, I promise it's on page one. Um, I'm not a Big Mac guy. I am a Whopper guy. I am a fool for the flame broiled taste. I looked it up. It's real. If any of you worked at Burger King, it's a real gas flame that touches that burger. I am enamored with the tangy mayo ketchup combo that runs through and around the tomatoes and drips out of the bun. I order it with heavy onions because I love onions and that provides for optimal Whopper health through the antioxidants that are so plentiful in said onions. Also, I have to have fries and Coke Zero with it because. So here's the relevant thing about the Whopper, though, why the Whopper is here in this sermon. And this is going to encourage you, Melody. I could eat two Whoppers at any sitting if this desire was not vetoed by my conscience, Melody's words to me, and my hope for a dainty figure. But the reason I could eat two Whoppers is not what you think. It's not so much because I love the Whopper. It's because soon after I eat the Whopper value meal, I am starving. The Whopper meal is a paradox. It is food that makes you hungry. You put it in your tummy where hunger is supposed to be satisfied. But the Whopper value meal does the opposite. It leads to hunger. And from what I understand, this is a staple marker of fast food. The highly processed nature and its massive amounts of simple sugars lead your body to not getting anything that it really needs. It runs through that stuff so quickly and you're literally running on fumes. You're not getting anything out of it. It leads to a desire, rather, for more Whoppers and more fries and more Cokes to do the work. And this leads again to the loss of the dainty figure and then something even more serious, the loss of health and physical deterioration if you continue in Whopperdom over and over again. So instead of energy and nutrition that's supposed to get through the food, you get the opposite. You get a weary, weakened body. Amen, Melody? Amen. And what happens to the body, it, it, can, it, it can also happen to our souls. There are spiritual Whopper value meals that we eat. And every day we might be found feeding in our minds and in our souls on things which slowly over time or quickly leave us empty. They leave us run down. They leave us spiritually weary and sick. And, you know, you might, you might know and you might ask yourself, what's your spiritual value meal uh, that, that, that you're dealing with right now as you walk in this morning? It might be anxiety. You're just kind of feasting on worry. It might be fears about the future or money or job pressure or bosses you feel oppressed by. Maybe there's a crucial relationship or more than one that's going south and you're feeding on hopelessness or dread about that situation. 
confusion about what to do. Maybe you're feeding on condemnation. You feel worthless because you don't measure up to the expectations that you have for yourself or the expectations you perceive from others. Or, unhideable of all, you, you, you feel like you don't measure up to God's expectations and he's condemning you for that in your mind. Maybe it's more clear-cut. Like you're, you're right now, you're just in a basic growing addiction to sin, to, to laziness, or to lust, or to social media, your phone, or, or you're drinking too much. Just, you just can't control some area of your life, and, and that's what you're feasting on. And you can just tell it is, it is driving you down. Maybe it's something that you just don't feel like you, you're really at fault in at all. You don't, you don't have any control over it. You didn't ask for it. You just feel like you're, you're trapped by something that is wearing you out. Like physical suffering from a health crisis, emotional suffering from stuff that is coming upon you. you maybe it's just just something that other people are putting you through. You're doing all you can to hang on. You're praying. You're reading the Bible. You're you're trying, but you just haven't sensed Jesus meeting you in it and empowering you. And so it's it's feeding into hopelessness and bewilderment. I don't know what it is for you that's making you weary as you walk in this morning could be a combination of all these things. But what, whatever it is, Jesus wants to heal us. He wants to heal us from weariness. He doesn't want us to run on fumes. He doesn't want us to exhaust and peter out. He wants us to make it. He wants us to grow. And he knows. He knows that a malnourished soul feeding on hopelessness or addiction or condemnation or worry or bitterness, it, it's in danger. It's in danger of of spiritual starvation and so he comes this morning to bring us real food food that leads to health it leads to peace contentment and hope he wants to bring food that sustains us and renews us and keeps us close to him and keeps us from falling away from him so that's what we're going to read about today let's pray that we wouldn't just read and hear, but he would do that. He would feed us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, what a privilege to know your name, to care about your word, and to be able to sit here, stand here, and, and reflect on your truth. I just pray your Holy Spirit would honor your truth this morning by helping me to preach as well as I can, by working around the mistakes I make, by strengthening your people to hear from you this morning, through me or around me, to be fed by you with rich food. Holy Spirit, convict through your word. Rebuild, rebuke, encourage, build up all of your people through your word. And Lord, if there's any soul in this room who does not know you, whether they know it or they don't know it, Lord, call out to them loudly. All of your people pray this prayer together. Amen. Amen. In Matthew 11, that's our text this morning. If I haven't said that, I think it's, it's up there, right? Um, in Matthew 11, Jesus Christ looks out on a crowd of, of weary and burdened souls like many of ours this morning. Many of them feeding on a life that's leaving them exhausted and weighed down. And he calls out to all of them. And he says these amazing words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the very words of the Lord. So, as I said, we want to engage this text and this issue of weariness. And the way I'd like to try to do that is just to simply engage Jesus' words by asking a few questions. We'll go through this text through questions. And the first question I just want to ask is this basic question. What is he promising? What does Jesus promise? It's, it's rest. Simply put, Jesus is promising rest. You see that? Verse 28, I will give you rest. Later in verse 29, you will find rest for your souls. Now this is soul rest. It's rest for your souls. It's not necessarily rest for your bodies. He's not promising a hammock at the beach. There are times for that. There are times for vacations. In fact, we saw last week that Jesus tried to take a vacation. Do you remember that? And that lady kept bugging him. That and she, she won out. That was an awesome little tale. But, but vacations are important. They have their place. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, he's talking about soul rest. And, and what kind of soul rest? Well, a logical answer from the text would be rest from whatever that's wearying. Whatever that's burdening. Whatever is heavy ladening. It's pushing you down. It could be in the form of hope instead of hopelessness. Peace. Instead of the chaos that's going on outside you. A quiet trust. Instead of the fear and the dread that you walk around with. It could be resting in being his beloved. Instead of being addicted to people's opinions about you. It could be the rest that comes from a sense of forgiveness. A renewed sense of his forgiving you and accepting you. Instead of condemnation. It could be the rest of self-control. Instead of bondage to sins you cannot stop. It could be the rest of just refreshment and strength instead of weariness. You just feel lightened and able. Well, everybody in here wants all of those things, right? And so the next question is, how do we get this rest? How do we get there? I I don't think Jesus is going to leave us without the answer. He gives us this invitation. Come to me. Come to me, he says. Notice it's not a godly principle. It's not a commandment. It's not a a technique he's calling you to. It's to him. The Jews in Jesus' day would have especially noted he was not saying come to the Torah, the law of Moses, nor even in his words, he doesn't even say go to him, go to Yahweh. He is calling them to himself directly and specifically. And hear the audaciousness in him of that. He's a man. Calling out to everyone else, if you want rest, come to me. John Bloom writes, Jesus doesn't offer us a fourfold path to peace, giving enlightenment like the Buddha. He doesn't give us five pillars of peace through submission as Islam does, nor does he give us ten ways to relieve your weariness, which we pragmatic self-help oriented 21st century Americans are so drawn to. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus simply offers himself. Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. And what does he mean, come to me? 
come to me. We know he's saying, come to me. But what does he mean, come? Well, just earlier in the context of this chapter, we see Jesus gravely rebuking cities for not coming to him. It is a serious thing to not come when he calls. He says a few verses earlier in chapter 11, the same chapter, just a few verses earlier, Matthew writes, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, to hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So coming to Jesus, it's not less than an invitation to to rest, but it, it, it's, it's something much more grave and imperative. It's not an option. And coming to Jesus is to do the opposite of what these cities did. They saw his revelation, but they did not turn to him in repentance and faith. They did not come to him as Lord and Savior. And so to come to him is to put our faith in him. It's to do the opposite of these cities. They ignored him. They didn't follow him. They didn't believe in him. To come to Jesus is to take him as he is, to believe his revelation, to see him as God, as Messiah, as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, as the Lord of life. To come to him means we put our hope in him. We say, you are who you say you are. You are my savior from my sins. And you are the Lord of my life. And you are worthy of my following. And more deeply as it relates to this promise, we come to him believing him when he promises rest. We say, Lord, you say you will give me rest. I will trust and depend on you to do whatever you must do to bring me quickly or or maybe it will take it will take some time, but you will do what you say, and I'm going to keep coming to you. You will bring me rest, whether it's in the form of, of renewed forgiveness or provision to sustain me. You're going to give me rest. Now let's consider verse 29. Jesus tells us that if we're to receive his rest, we're called to do something more. He elaborates on what it means to come to him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, a yoke was what you would put on an animal for pu- pulling loads, heavy loads. I, I think we got a picture. Yeah, there it is. Doo-doo. Look at that little cutie. I mean the girl, not the cows. So, the listeners of Jesus' time would have heard that. They would have understood that in the society they were in. But they would have also likely understood this is a common metaphor for the relationship, they would have heard it as a metaphor for the relationship between a teacher and a student. More specifically, a Pharisee or a teacher of the law and his disciples. 
So Jesus is telling us here that if we want to find and receive his rest, we must live as his disciple. We must become his followers. We must search after him. We must learn from him. We must learn about him, who he is, what he does, and what he asks from us. Jesus says, learn from me. Believe what I say and follow it. It's not enough to hear, Jesus says. Learning with the yoke implies a real following. In another place, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And so the implication here of a yoke is is really, really doing what he says. It's really being pulled around and directed by him. It's, It's this idea that faith will really express itself in imperfect but real obedience. And this brings us to this other paradox and a much greater and opposite paradox than the Burger King Whopper. The paradox here is that in Jesus' universe, which is the only universe that's real and matters, we find rest not by freeing ourselves from control. In Jesus' universe, the only universe that's real and matters, we find rest not by freeing ourselves from control and obligation, but by yielding to control and obligation to Jesus to follow him. That's how we find rest. The paradox is that essentially becoming a slave to Christ leads to spiritual freedom from spiritual bondage. Becoming a slave to Christ Giving him the keys, it leads to freedom from bondage. And aren't we, I'm apt to believe that, that rest is taking a break and lying down and sleeping or watching a game I really wanted to watch or just being unburdened by other people's wishes and commands. Well, actually, in truth, that's probably a lot of times a lot more like the Whopper with cheese. It doesn't lead to rest. It, it, it's more likely in, in my experience especially with my little kids around me watching a game, to lead to more weariness. But Jesus says, in actuality, real rest is found in being under his burden and under his yoke. And now, here's our our, our last main question. Why does being under his burden and under his yoke actually yield rest? Why do we find rest? How does this paradox work? Like you came in weary and exhausted and now you have Jesus telling you to wear a yoke. That you must believe in him in such a way that it leads to real following of him and yielding control to him. Isn't that just, doesn't that just feel like more work to do? Like you just have another burden on you? John Piper in his book, um, Future Grace, which is an amazing, amazing book. He talks about the... The conscious burden, you know, he places on the reader when he deals with a chapter on freedom from anxiety. He talks about the freedom from anxiety is to be able to see anxiety as unbelief. (laughs) Yippee! I'm anxious. I'm worried. Hey, you're actually not believing God, which doesn't please him. And you need to repent from that. And it's like you're just putting more layers of, of, of burden on me. But that's really not what's going on here. Jesus makes his yoke rest because of who jesus is as he leads our yoke 
See, the yoke of the Pharisees, the religious teachers in Jesus' day, it was really a yoke of bondage. It did not lead to rest because it was created by men who were abusing God's word and they were filled with arrogance and selfishness and they were just stockpiling duty and duty and duty upon duty and duty and duty. In verse 26 of Luke or chapter 46 of, I'm sorry, Luke eleven forty six, Jesus says to them or about them, you experts in the law, Woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. See, the Pharisees would add laws to God's law. In order to keep you from breaking God's law, they would think, well, we'll just keep you from breaking a man-made law, which won't let you get even close to God's law. Kind of like in the garden when Satan says to Eve, did God really say you may not... Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, nor you, may you not even touch it. You know, even just a little bit of shaping and putting more burden on Eve's shoulders and her mind than God did. And they did this. They had rules about cooking and washing and what you could carry on the Sabbath that were just crazy. They're, you can read about them in, I think, Josephus and other historian books. You know, today we might look at strict Islam and Sharia law at forbidding music, requiring beards of a certain length. And the, just the burden of, of having wives wear a full body burqa that only lets her see out of a small slit over her mask. These rules in, in Sharia law that I just read there, I don't, I'm not an expert in that, but those kinds of things would probably be light in comparison to what the Pharisaical rules were. They were really oppressive. Not to say that those other laws are impressive, but they were, they were rough. And the point here isn't that Jesus has better rules. The point Jesus is making that he's, he's just, he himself is better than those people. He's pointing to himself. He's saying, listen, I am gentle. I am humble. And whatever comes out of me towards you in terms of the yoke I'm asking you to carry or bear, it's going to become out of a gentle heart towards you and a humble heart towards you. And when you give your life to me each day, you're giving your life to someone who is deeply for you. Knows what you can handle, what you can't handle. And loves you. And and is a humble, humble God. And is a gentle, gentle master. And we can see this expressed, Jesus' gentleness and his humbleness, his, his, what he calls lowliness, and what he calls gentleness in, in two main ways. We talk about Jesus' lowliness. We're talking about him bearing the greatest burden that you should ever have to carry, but you never will have to carry. Jesus is lowly. He considered himself not too... How does Philippians put it? He says he did not consider the divine nature of God something to be held on to so much that he wouldn't come down and die for us as a slave. That's a, a paraphrase of what Philippians 2 tells us. But the point is that Jesus' lowliness, his humility, it expresses itself in the fact that he takes all of your pride, all of your selfishness, and all of your sin, and he wears it on himself. All that corruption in your heart from the cradle to the grave that you wrestle with every day. And he put it on himself, and he bore God's punishment for that. He bore God's wrath for that when he hung on the cross. And he did that so that you would never, ever, ever have to. 
that will never be part of your burden, that will never be part of your yoke. And instead, you are made acceptable to God, regardless of how imperfectly you follow God. Jesus has made you acceptable to him. And so in our imperfect attempts to follow the Lord, to take that yoke and follow him, and they will be imperfect, we must always remember that we're never bearing a yoke of following in order to receive salvation or make ourselves righteous. I believe believing that is the primary element of his yoke. In other words, coming to Jesus and learning from Jesus and taking his yoke upon you, it is believing the gospel. It is a yoke that calls you to believe that you are forgiven, that you stand righteous through the free gift of Jesus, that that's inclusive of what makes up that yoke. There's no more important yoke that you can bear this morning than the yoke of the gospel. It's that yoke, that element in the yoke that makes anything else God calls you to bear possible. And not only possible, but, but lighter. And the second thing we, we learn about Jesus, why he's better than the Pharisee, why his yoke is, is easier and lighter than anything else that the hearers had experienced, is because he's gentle. He's gentle. He's not just lowly in heart. He's gentle in how he treats us. Jesus says the rulers would put burdens on people that they could hardly bear and they would not lift a finger to help. This is the exact opposite of how Jesus treats us. He does not treat you as a harsh taskmaster. He comes as a servant who will carry your burdens with you if you will trust him to. He comes as a servant who will carry your burdens with you if you will trust him to. When you give yourself to Jesus each day, because that's what he's calling you to do in this yoke, when he says, if any man wants to be my disciple, he has to take up his cross every day, die to himself daily and follow me. That's, that's, that's a real element in this yoke he's calling us to. This death to ourselves every day, trusting in Jesus every day, following him daily. When you hear that word, hear this word as well. I am gentle. I am humble. I am not a harsh taskmaster. You can surrender each moment. You can trust that I have your best interest at heart. You can trust that I know how to tenderly care for you. Through real trouble, through real difficulties, I will allow you to go through. And real burdens that outside will be significant. But you can trust that if you're following me and if you're, you're trusting me, I will find a way to bear that burden with you so that it will be an easy yoke and a light burden. These are Jesus' words. They're not my words. He says he's gentle. He says he's humble. He says his yoke is not a yoke that you will carry on your own. He says, I will not leave you. As an orphan. I will come to you. And so that's another element of this yoke. Is to believe in his presence. In our lives. Each moment. 
that's part of how we actually experience the lightness and the ease that he's talking about. Is that we believe that he's present. That's his call to us. And if we don't believe that he's present and he's with us, that yoke will not feel easy. It will not feel light. It will feel hard and awful. But this is what he calls us to believe. This is part of this yoke. Listen to how Paul puts it. I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was in me. Paul remembers who he was, a murderer and a terrorist. And then he recalls what God has made him now. Forgiven child of God, indwelt by the very Holy Spirit, who is his power. The very Holy Spirit, who is, by faith, by trusting God to be there, his power to live. And he can barely finish a phrase about himself without including God's presence in all that he is and all that he does. You might remember Galatians 2. It is no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. How does Christ live in you? By faith, he says. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul lived his life moment by moment believing that Jesus was in him, sustaining him. That Jesus was living in him through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving him power to follow God. And that it wasn't his power that was going to help him make it, but it was God's. And that's why all that Paul went through, which was so hard and so horrible, was, in large measure, it was something Paul could say, this is an easy burden. This is a light burden. This is something that I value so much, I call everything else rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness and joy of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Even through all the horrible suffering, Jesus is making it possible. And so, in effect, this yoke that Jesus calls you to carry is to believe in his righteousness for your sins. It's to believe in his spirit as your presence, as your strength. If you will take that yoke of belief upon you, then as you seek to yield to to the other entailments of following Jesus, to forgive, to be patient, to love and to, again and again, to bear up under suffering, to work hard for your employer when it's hard, to be honest when it's hard, to not be ashamed of Jesus when you're tempted to be ashamed because your friends are mocking you. If, if, if you will take that first yoke of, of he is your righteousness, he has forgiven you, and he is with you, he is your strength, and all those other secondary entailments of following Jesus become light and easy and possible. I hope, I hope this is clear to you. You know, like many of you guys, work can sometimes be a great challenge. Sometimes in some seasons, it's just 
It feels very, very hard. And this week I was met by, as I studied this text, I was met by the, the, the sad frequency of, of my not taking this yoke upon my shoulder. As I, even as I prepared this message, there were just many times where I just felt this assault of hopelessness, assault of condemnation. And at those turns, I realized what I'm not doing is I'm not wearing Jesus' yoke. And, and the way I got through those moments this week as I looked at this text was I said, wait a second, I am righteous in you. I am a forgiven child. And wait a second, I am not doing this message on my own. I'm not writing this sermon on my own. You are with me. You are with me. You're going to meet me and you're going to help me. And that was the only way that it felt like a light and easy yoke. The writing of this message became a light and easy yoke. At every point that I said, no, wait a second. I'm forgiven by you. And I am helped by you at every moment. As I trusted that, I experienced an easing and a lighting of this burden I felt. And, and so... And so it's time to close, really. I, I just leave you guys with some application questions. For those of you here this morning who are weary and burdened, just encourage you to stop your soul for a moment and ask. Just the big question, are you coming to Jesus and taking up his yoke? Are you coming to him as he is, as the Lord of your life, that he has the right to the keys of the of the vehicle of your life, that he is your Lord, that he says, everything else is second to me. Everything else is second to me. If you want to be my disciple, take up your cross every day and follow me and die to yourself. That's, that's a part of this yoke. And some of us are not feeling the lightness and the ease of his yoke because we just, we're just resisting him in that. We're just resisting him. We want to do our own thing. Sin is comfortable right now. It, it hasn't exhausted us yet. We're not weary enough yet. But you're not following him as a disciple, maybe. But another question for those of you who feel like you are trying to avoid sin. Are, are you bearing the yoke of his gospel? Are you believing that he is your righteousness, not your performance? That he has forgiven you? For everything you have done and everything you will do. Are you wearing that part of the yoke? And then lastly, so important. Are you bearing the yoke of his presence? Are you saying to your heart in times of fear, in times of anxiety, in times of bitterness. Where you just feel clobbered by circumstance or clobbered by your sin. Wait a second. You have not left me as an orphan. You have come to me. You live inside me. And so, Lord, I claim your promise. When you say to me, do not fear. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Believing that, that Jesus has purchased that for you, that's what makes the yoke easy and the burden light. That's what keeps you from running off to the Big Macs and the French, the Whoppers with cheese and the French fries and the Coke Zeros of, of, of lesser yolks and stuff that just doesn't bring rest. I've got a few examples here that I am not going to give because I need, I need to, to close this so we can spend some time in worship. 
But I'll put those out. I'll put some examples together in, um, in this week's sermon follow-up. But anyway, this, this text has been a joy and a pleasure to preach. And uh, thank you guys all for listening. Let's pray.